0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hello everyone and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. This week I am joined by Barton Simmons, scouting director for 24-7 sports. Barton and I had a short but interesting exchange on Twitter a little while back and I thought it would make for a good off-season discussion, so we invited him on the podcast. It's the oldest debate about human development, whether it's football or otherwise. Nature or nurture. But we look at it from a football perspective. How much credit should coaching staffs be given for developing players Or are the best ones just arriving on campus as uh, fully-fledged future NFL prospects? Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. A note about this week's episode, we recorded this podcast about a week ahead of when it will be posted, because I am going on vacation. So if there's any news that we happen to miss, that's why it has not been brought up. We will be back with more timely topics starting again next week, but enjoy this one. And again, if you're taking us to the beach on July 4th or something along those lines, hope you're having a good summer. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Podcast One and at Apple Podcasts and just about anywhere you like to get your podcasts. Please subscribe, and if so inclined, give us a good review. And as usual, you can go to collegefootball.ap.org, where you can read all of AP's college football coverage, and away we go. Joining me this week on the podcast is Barton Simmons of 24-7 Sports. He is the director of scouting and uh, guru of all things that are recruiting. Uh, Barton, thanks so much for joining me. So a couple of weeks back, I think it was about a week or so ago, yeah. Um, we had a, a quick exchange on Twitter that I thought might make for an interesting discussion. And it was essentially the premise is basically nature or nurture, right? Yeah. Uh, how much do programs recruit future NFL stars and how much do they develop guys who are who end up being NFL players who end up going on to great college careers? I don't think we disagree greatly on this, but I do think maybe on the margins we we sort of maybe disagree a little bit on that. I tend to lean more towards that you recruit great players and they would be great players no matter where they go. And I think you probably emphasize the development side a little more, but there's also de- sort of a, a, an equation of what development really means. Do you think that there are drastic differences between the way programs develop players And do you think it really does create, like, this guy would not have made it to the level that he has made it if he had gone somewhere else?
1: Yeah, I mean, when I look at a lot of these sort of things, I mean, certainly when I just look at recruiting and recruiting rankings and how accurate they are, and, and, I mean, to me, it's always about looking big picture, you know, playing the numbers, all right? You know, is if I get – uh, twenty five five stars in a class and i and I compete against your class of twenty five two stars uh, you might have a two star that 's better than all my guys, and I might have a five star that 's terrible but the the numbers tell me that I got a better chance of of having more guys hit within that five star group than your two star group and so I kind of look at that and you know to, to your question as as I respond to that I, I think there's always a a guy whether he's ranked as a, a two-star, whether he had one offer coming out, whether he had thirty offers coming out, where it doesn't matter where he goes, he's just going to figure it out, and he's just going to be—he's going to be good, he's going to be successful, and 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 so that's that's always going to be the case. But when I'm looking at the programs that develop at a high level uh, that I respect in terms of their Strength programs, their you know, their their off the field development, the just the way go those guys come out of those programs. I, I think you have players again. We're talking individually that yeah, if they had gone somewhere else, they wouldn't have made it. And so, I, I mean, it's it's sort of a counterintuitive way to, to to approach it from from my perspective because I'm so um, knee deep in the recruiting and the evaluation stuff. You would think I would be on. Sort of more on your side of the fence here where it's like, look, whoever recruits best wins. Or but I but I actually look at it opposite in the sense that we have three hundred and fifty or so, give or take, four stars per cycle, which and a four-star to us is someone that we think will play in the NFL, will get drafted in the NFL. The problem with that is and and what the really the most difficult thing about my job and our job as like evaluators is not finding those guys that can make it it's it's drawing the line and saying and so the way i see it is there's probably and this may be even a a a low ball estimate but i mean there's probably if there's 250 guys drafted every year i i would argue in every class there's probably 2,500. And that may be high, that may be low, but there's probably thousand plus guys that are actually good enough coming out of high school to play in the NFL. And so then it's about, are they going to have the drive, the motivation, the the work ethic to, to succeed? And that's a big part of it. And, and all the guys that exceed the expectations and hit uh, certainly get all that, you know, all the credit they deserve for that. But I think the other part of it is is the program going to put them in the best position to be successful? And I think like the probably the best example for that, unsurprisingly, is Alabama. Mm -hmm. And and everyone says, well, look, I mean, Alabama recruits number one classes every year. Like that's how hard is it for Nick Saban to produce these players? But when you actually dig into the success rate of those guys, um, Nick, you know, and and since Nick Saban has been there and this was a study, I'll give Chris Hummer a guy for, for us at 24 seven sports, who does a great job credit for doing the, the legwork on this. But since Nick Saban has been at Alabama, the five stars, and this was a study from last year. So it's not updated with this past draft's numbers, but, uh, of all the five stars that he's recruited, and he's recruited more than anyone else in that period of time, 48% of those five stars not just were drafted, but were drafted in the first round. Wow. Now, it, it, you compare that to the rest of the country, like the rest of the five stars that have been anywhere, they're, they're drafted in the first round at a 17% clip.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, I mean, that's a, to me, that's, that is a dramatic difference and that tells me not just the Nick Saban is some master evaluator. Cause the five stars are guys that everyone's offered. Everyone wanted them. It tells me that when they get on campus, they're doing a better job. Scott Cochran's doing a better job in the way in the strength program. Uh, the competition level on the practice field is more conducive to development. The, the program is more is, is set up for development better than their peers. And so, I mean, you can make examples sort of down the line and varying sort of tiers, but in the very top tier, the reason Alabama is is the most successful team year in, year out in the country is, is, yeah, recruiting. But I I would maybe even argue more so the, the ability to effectively develop those
0: recruits. Right. And it seems that now Clemson is sort of getting from point A to point B in a different fashion. Right. But they seem to have a very high hit rate, too, which it would explain the reason why Clemson is now sort of seeing eye to eye with Alabama. We also mentioned, or again, in our quick Twitter exchange, the difference between, I think a lot of times we think of development and it implies to some folks coaching and the right. literal on the field coaching I will teach you this technique or right. these plays better than they will at other schools and this is the one place where I think you and I probably agree a little more that and you even made reference to it that the, the development piece the on the field coaching to me seems to be a small part of it when we say development it's strength and conditioning it's mm-hmm. it's putting together a program wide, culture and philosophy that prepares you mentally physically the whole 9 yards sort of the holistic approach and i think that's where the programs that are great at development separate themselves even more not necessarily just the x's and o's and the technique it's in those things and that a lot of times has nothing has has mostly to do with resources and smarts or in other words resources how much you have smarts right. how you spend
1: yeah. Yeah. And and I mean, I, I think that there's a couple of, of of great examples of like, let's I'll take Notre Dame, for example, is and, and I think specifically, you know, generally speaking, there's a lot that goes into development and those resources. I think if you're going to distill it down to like one most critical factor, I mean, strength and conditioning and who your strength and conditioning coach is to me is. I mean, he is the second most important person in that program to me. No doubt, no doubt. I mean, that's if you're really talking about who shapes a program, it should be the head coach is paid X, and the you know the the strength and conditioning coach should be second on the list above the coordinators, above the recruiting coordinators, OC, DC, whatever. I mean, look at everyone's given Brian Kelly so much credit for sort of reshaping Notre Dame and getting them to the college football playoffs and he revamped his staff uh, correctly and properly and he made some really good hires um changed up his OC changed up his DC I think made really savvy hires there but, but the the area to me that's that has been most obviously different is they, they also strained up their strength coach and they've gotten so much stronger and more physical and more prepared for those like big time battles and and that's been a, a total game changer to me. I, the other one that's that strikes me is is really fascinating. Is like you look at LSU, and everyone talks about LSU and they're like they're the only program that can produce the freaks to to run with Bama, and like they just look different. And they just you know, it's just these all these mutants down there <laughs> in the Bayou that are just these monsters. And I mean, look, there was yeah, LSU's got a proud program, but like before Nick Saban got there. It wasn't doing what it's doing now, and it wasn't producing the talent it's producing now. And since Nick Saban left, it hasn't produced that. You know, it's it's still producing that talent, whether it's with Les Miles, whether it's with Ed Ogeron. And it strikes me as sort of really uh, like un- underrated or 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 not talked about enough that there is one common denominator there. It's Tommy Moffitt, the strength mm-hmm. coach. I mean, that guy's been there since 2000, and LSU just keeps on pumping out these beasts and so like I think strength and conditioning is and it's it's hard to it's hard to really know who's good until you just sort of see the results three years in so you can't just look at a you know yards per play the year before for whatever mid-major team and goes take their strength coach because it, it it's it's such a bit more kind of detailed and and involved process to really tell who a great strength coach is because they're shaping the culture but I think another great example on the on the flip side is Um, Tennessee recruited and and again this this speaks to not just strength and conditioning but just general program development culture but I mean Butch Jones recruited well Mm -hmm. but he he had a strength and conditioning program that was basically non-existent and so no one got better there Um, guys regressed guys got hurt and I, I think if you're a Tennessee fan and you're you know optimistic about the future yeah it's great that you got Jeremy Pruitt and and it's great that the staff they've built is so highly regarded but i mean more than that i mean Jeremy Pruitt comes from a background where strength and conditioning is not going to be skimped on like and so that that to me uh, and is is probably the the single most undervalued aspect from in sort of the general consensus of of what goes into a great football program.
0: Let's take a step back from the places where you're mostly dealing with fours and five star recruits. Yeah, as you talk to a lot of coaches, talk to recruits, guys who you know have been recruits who come through the system and move on to NFL careers, or maybe don't move on to NFL careers. Are there staffs? Schools that stand out that are dealing more in along the the three star area where four star is usually the head of their class and they're definitely more along the lines of loading up on three star stars. Are there programs and coaches who stand out as far as you're concerned in developing those players? I mean, I think there's the
1: sort of the the, the usual suspects. In that regard, that are are, are kind of obvious. I mean, the Wisconsins, mm-hmm. Iowa. I mean, Chris Doyle, Iowa's. He's one of the most high, highly paid strength coaches in the country. I think for good reason. Uh, like, I, and, and when you when you know we had our exchange on Twitter, one of the first guys that sort of came to mind was TJ Hawkinson, and I mean he's sort of the neck the most recent Iowa kid that comes from sort of nowhere that no one's heard about that it, you know turns into a first rounder and and again y- you want to be careful not to take anything away from tj Hawkinson because he might have gone to anywhere he might have gone to grand valley state and been a first rounder i don't know but he was a he was like a uh four nine forty guy with a 25 inch vertical or something coming out of high school and he develops into a first rounder and Iowa does that regularly And, you know, I think Wisconsin does it similarly in terms of, I mean, I I do think, and and you made this point, I think Wisconsin and Iowa probably look at players differently, especially at the offensive line position, whereas a lot of schools lazily go out and just look for the 330-pound kid that is ready to play and and looks like a college guy now, I I think that wisconsin iowa some of the programs that recruit offensive line and develop offensive line really well do a better job of identifying what what actually makes good offensive linemen and i think finding guys that fit their culture more so um from a from a demeanor standpoint than a at you know physical attribute standpoint so i think that that's you know the 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 programs that do that really effectively you know are, are are Really successful. I mean, like Michigan State's another one. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna recruit recruit guys that fit their culture beyond everything else. And so, when you sort of give a little bit on the you know the attribute side of things and take a little more in terms of the cultural fit, then I think it allows players to develop more rapidly to push each other. I, I was just up at Louisville last week. Um, talking to Scott Satterfield and, and I mean, they did a great job. Hey, they got a great strength coach um, at App State, uh, but they did a great job too of again, recruiting the, the right guys that would then sort of take leadership roles and, 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 and they'd feed off each other. And it's a, sort of a player led player coach team practically. I mean, you watch the way they, handled business in the bowl game without their head coach there. Mm-hmm. I think that speaks to sort of what that program had become. And so, and, and if you're, if you are not recruiting, if you're sort of going and looking for the 4440 guy, instead of the player that actually fits your culture, then I think you, you're, you're sacrificing a little bit in terms of their ability to develop each other and get the most out of every practice, every workout, whatever. So yeah, I think the programs that are disciplined in that are, are the ones that, and the coaches that are disciplined in that, are, are the ones that really kind of maximize what they get.
0: You talked about attributes. And listen, a lot of this stuff is a little bit of a gray area where it's not like right, identifying talent, identifying attributes that you can build on. So when we talk about development as opposed to coaching, as opposed to um, identifying talent... All those things bleed over into one another. So there's right. it's, it, you can't just simply separate out it's A or B or C. There's a Venn diagram there with a lot of overlap. What I hear a lot from coaches who aren't necessarily grabbing a whole bunch of fives and high four stars is when you ask them, "What what are the attributes you're looking for that tell you and from a physical standpoint, that listen, this is a, this is a building block I can work with here. This is something that I see X and Y, and we feel like if if this if a player has these has these attributes, right. these are things that are a tell to long term success. What I hear a lot is, of course, is length. That's a, you, you get that a lot. If I can get a long athlete. With some speed, I can put some pounds on them. But as someone who literally does this for a living, what are some of the attributes that lend themselves to projectability? When you're looking for someone you can project who isn't the fully formed four or five star, what are some of those physical attributes that you're sort of keying in on?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. Like, it's, it's look, speed and length and explosiveness and those things. I mean, they're kind of obvious. I mean, everyone, hey, if you can. If you can go find some guy that's, you know, you got to, you can find a track time on some kid that everyone else missed on and, and get them into your program and, and, you know, get a bunch of fast, long guys, sure. I mean, that makes a ton of sense and you got a chance. But to me, what, what I've really zeroed in on over the last couple of years is, is less about pure numbers and pure, uh, athletic. You know, measurables, and more about. All right, where has this kid? Where has this prospect shown the ability to be really good? The ability to excel in multiple settings? Has he shown? Is he a is he a really good basketball player? Is he a really good shot put guy? Um, is he, uh, is is he a is he a baseball player? Does he play multiple sports? Uh, does he play multiple sports at a high level? Is he maxed out? And, and, and I don't, you don't want to knock a kid for being maxed out. That's not what it's about. It's more about finding kids that just haven't even begun to actually cultivate their true football skills. It's about finding a defensive back. And instead of looking at all the cornerbacks in the country, look at all the receivers that are committed to to group of five programs and find one of those guys that's long, who has documented speed and then and then being forward thinking enough to project him out to play defensive back for you and so uh i think the the programs again when you talk about programs that are successful evaluating uh and and do a good job of developing uh i, I think it, in a lot of cases you find and when you study the nfl draft and and whatever the the kid that's went to UTEP and go, gets drafted in the second round. I mean, when you really look at their profiles, it's, it's remarkable how similar they all are. It's, you know, these are the guys that go under the radar are not kids that played football since they were six and just focused on doing ladder drills all the way up until their seniors in high school. They're guys that played soccer. They're guys that ran track. They're guys that were doing all kinds of different things and maybe developed at a later pace than some of the the sort of football-focused kids. And then again, there's plenty of guys that are football-focused that are are incredible prospects and, and hit as well. So it's not to, to rule those out, but it's to, to have like the uh, an open mind to see what a kid can become who hasn't yet maxed out and who has demonstrated this ability to excel in these other arenas and and as as he zeroes in on football, all those skill sets he's acquired will then sort of get added to the pot. And so that that to me has been really eye opening, and it's really taken. Uh, you know, I, I've I've totally changed my approach to the way I look at players, and in, in trying to sort of not just find out what their football film looks like, but what's their true athletic profile look like, and how does that you know how does that translate to whatever position and whatever skill sets that position. Uh, you know values when you're looking at you know NFL draft projectability
0: okay Barton I want to take a very quick break we'll come back and we're going to talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts of recruiting because the, the, the past week or so have been a key recruiting time there's been a bunch of commits there's been some movement some decommits and things along those lines I don't want to get your thoughts on that you're listening to the AP top 25 college football podcast I'm talking with Barton Simmons from 24-7 sports we'll be back right after this and we're back with Barton Simmons from 24-7 Sports, talking a little recruiting. So we had a really good discussion about sort of development and nature versus nurture. But I want to get into a little nuts and bolts here. And just to remind you, you're listening to this about a week after at least it's been recorded. Uh, this is a pre-recorded podcast because I'm on vacation. So we are talking on Tuesday, the 25th of June. The most recent weekend that has just passed was filled with official visits, which is which are kind of new in the recruiting calendar, so only a couple of years old, these spring official visits. And it seems like my Twitter feed was blowing up with commitments from here, there, and everywhere. Anything that stood out to you over this past week or week and a half or so, Barton, as far as surprising commits, a school that did particularly well, a school that maybe hit a little bump in the road because they didn't do as well as we expected? Yeah, and, and this
1: is a good time to have the kind of the vacation podcast because the coaches are on vacation r- right about now when this is going live as well. So this this weekend that we're referencing was sort of the last weekend before the the dead period where kids can't get on campus. So it was there was a little bit of a uh, uh, some urgency to to getting some stuff done. And I mean, I'd say probably the most I don't know compelling uh storyline or weekend was probably in the Big Ten where Michigan and, and Ohio State, um, who are obviously uh, y- annually battling for uh, a Big Ten, top class in the Big Ten, um, both had some really big weekends and both got a few commitments. Uh, Michigan got more in terms of quantity. Um, a bunch of guys committed, in co- including the um, kid named Jordan Morant, who's one of the Best safeties in the country, um, really elite player there. Uh, they got a a couple offensive linemen, Reese Atterbury, Jeffrey Percy. Uh, they flipped a kid from West Virginia named Aaron Lewis, who's a good defensive uh, end prospect. Just sort of a a really productive weekend there for Michigan, but they're they're still looking up at uh, at Ohio State, and and Ohio State is still kind of the class of the Big Ten, and and they got a kid named Clark Phillips. Just uh, to, to kick off the weekend, who is out of California and I, I think really speaks to kind of Ohio State's continued presence both nationally um, in terms of being able to go coast to coast, get another team's backyards and get them. But also, uh, McClark Phillips is another just high-character kind of Ohio State guy. And and I think that's been really f- interesting how Ohio State has done such a good job of getting guys that are, again, locker room fits. I think that's why there's – I mean, when you talk about someone that steps into a great situation, Ryan Day steps into – this is nothing like what Urban Meyer left at Florida. I mean, Ryan Day is stepping into an incredibly strong culture, strong locker room, uh, a a bunch of like-minded guys, and and they're, they're really talented. And so I think they continue to build on that. Uh, with, with Clark Phillips and and they still look like they're going to be recruiting at a really elite level under Ryan Day. I mean, the, you really can't tell. I mean, Urban Meyer set the bar incredibly high, so we can't. You know, there's not really a a final answer on what Ryan Day is until February, and maybe not even then. Uh, but at, at the very least, he's he's keeping the pace pretty quick uh, in the in the early days of his you know first full cycle.
0: Let me stay in the Big Ten here because, again, sometimes what you see on Twitter, when it, especially when it comes to recruiting, is a small snapshot of a bigger picture. And, and the Twitter picture can sometimes lead to a very different um, type of story than is really going on on the ground. So Penn State seem, seemingly has had a handful of decommits. That seems to be true no matter what. But is that a big deal? is Penn state having an issue right now or is it just hey a couple of high, relatively high profile kids decommit and you know James Franklin's got to go back to work what what do you see out of Penn state right now I mean I, yeah there's
1: i i've I don't get any sense that this is indicative of a crumbling foundation or anything at penn state and and, and now i I'll grant though it's it's a little bit weird I mean when you look at the transfer portal too I mean Penn state is all in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they're they got guys going, they got guys coming, they got um. There's just there's a lot of Nittany Lion logos, and if you look in the transfer portal on twenty four seven sports, and I, I don't, that to me certainly isn't a positive. Um, and when you pair that up with some decommitments, I mean, that's not a that's not what you want. It's not a good thing. But I, I will also say that, uh, I mean James Franklin. Is one of the best recruiters in the country. Um, I think that they've they've done a really good job, particularly on defense, um, of of getting the right kind of guys. And and look, I mean, one of those decommitments was a kid named Derek Wingo, who's out of St. Thomas Aquinas and uh, Fort Lauderdale, and decommits and goes to Florida. It's like, look, if you're going to go fishing down there in, in Florida for maybe you know one of the most athletic linebackers in the country, there's you got to fight for them. You got And sometimes you lose some of those. And so that, that happens when you're recruiting those sort of players. Um, But I I still think that Penn state is, you know, we got a long way to go in this class and I I still think that they're um, in a good position and, and, and,
0: and putting together a, a strong class for 2020. So the last one I have for you, Barton, and we, and you, you will know better than I on this. We're a 3 years into the spring visits or 2 years into these these new springtime official visits. Gosh, I think this is year 2. Okay. Yeah. So, it's still a relatively small sample. It does seem like the structure is more It seems like more kids are are taking advantage of the structure now after two years because they probably know it's available and can set their calendars a little better. It was sort of thrown into the mix at a bit of a late date last year when it finally was implemented. So, again, we're still dealing with a relatively small sample size, but how do you like it? I know, you know, coaches, I get texts constantly like these Recruiting calendar is driving me insane. I feel like I got no time off and things along those lines. But coaches tend to complain about a little of everything. I'm wondering your perspective on how this is working. And also, is it working for the schools that wanted it most, which is we've just talked about the Big Ten. It's a lot of those schools in cold weather areas that really wanted these changes.
1: Well, it's – I mean, it's it's. I tell you who else it. I mean, it it accelerates everything. I mean, that's that's ultimately what happens. It accelerates everything. It it creates um, some additional and like really important weekends. Obviously, the coaches got to be dialed in for, and and it makes January a time where they're not babysitting their commits, but going out and evaluating the next class. And so, I, I think. I mean, the the flip side of the coaches that are complaining about it is the recruiting staffers that are at mid majors that are able to land um, classes and players that they would have never otherwise been able to land Uh, just by the nature that uh, school like other programs have filled up that they you know once the kids are signed in December they can't get poached in January and so. You know, the this this whole process, I mean, it's all connected. It's and so the acceleration of things creates a you know, earlier evaluations, creates uh, uh an emphasis to get kids on campus earlier, to get them committed earlier, so that by the by the time September rolls around, most of your class is in the fold, you finish that one up by December, you wanna have as many guys signed by December as you can, and then January you're on pace to then move on to the next class and, and, and get it rolling. And so uh I, I don't I don't like it as a as sort of a personnel nerd because <laughs> I, I like the idea of the best players emerging and and being valued properly, whereas right now you really can't emphasize a senior season the way you should. You can't really evaluate that the way you should. It it's you know it creates a situation where guys are getting prioritized based almost exclusively off their junior season. And in most cases that's sort of still reveals the right guys, but in a, in a lot of cases um, it, it doesn't. And so, but again, I mean, that, Hey, I mean, in a way that's fun because I, I can still try to prioritize senior seasons and find guys that maybe coaches to ask miss on. Um, but it, it, it does, I think just accelerate everything. Uh, and and it and it makes the spring and the summer a little bit more scattershot because you, know, you got they still got to be going to camps. They still have to be college coaches still have to be evaluating going to these satellite camps. Um they've got to be hosting official visits now and and junior days and uh so it's just kind of a little less uh you know it's not it's no longer just sort of the camp season. Uh, it's now camp season, official visit season all rolled together and and it makes things a little bit tougher to, to get a grip on. But um, so I'm not sure who would, I guess it benefits the players if they want to just get it out of the way and they don't want to pay for travel. And uh, I guess that was the idea is get some of those trips covered that Mm. they would otherwise had to come out of pocket for. But I think in just sort of the, the big picture, I'm not, I'm not totally sold that it's, it's a good thing for, for the process.
0: Barton, I really appreciate you doing this. It was a good conversation, Barton. By the time this podcast posts, you will be at the opening in Frisco, Texas, checking out the next big event of the of the recruiting calendar, at least for guys who do what you do for a living.
1: Yes, yeah, that's good. That's a big one. That's sort of the big off season event of the year. So that should be that's always fun. Uh, so we'll be down there with uh, with all the coverage there, and then. You know, shortly thereafter, it's sort of, I start pivoting and focusing on preseason college football stuff. So this is uh, this is fun. It's sort of the last, last hurrah here at the opening uh, for recruiting season before uh, you know shifting focus
0: and digging into to the college game. Barton Simmons is the uh, scouting director for 24-7 Sports. He, you can also find him at CBS Sports, and you can find him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. Hey, man, I really appreciate the time. As always, enjoy the rest of your summer. Enjoy the opening, and um, you know, I'm sure we'll talk down the road. Thanks, Ralph. Appreciate you having me on, man. And now, three and out, rapid-fire edition. First down. In a season with a lot of question marks among the Big Ten East Big Four teams, I'm tempted to take Penn State to win the division behind some emerging stars like linebacker Micah Parsons and running back Ricky Slade. But the conference schedule is tricky for the Nittany Lions, so that gives me a little pause. Second down. Among the transfer quarterbacks in the spotlight this season, the ones I'm most intrigued to see are the guys who actually sat out last season, as opposed to the guys who are immediately eligible, like Jalen Hurts and Justin Fields. Jacob Eason at Washington and Hunter Johnson at Northwestern are former five-star recruits who could turn their teams into contenders this season. Third down. Who will be the most impactful true freshman in the country this season? The answer could be a couple of defensive ends on different sides of the country for teams in need of pass rushing improvements. Kayvon Thibodeau is a five-star from California who signed with Oregon. The Ducks need him to make an immediate impact if they want to reach lofty preseason expectations. Nolan Smith at Georgia also has a chance to be a difference maker. The Bulldogs have more depth than the Ducks, but producing sacks was a problem for last year's defense, and the 235-pound speed rusher could find a path to playing time. That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Warren Levinson, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and at Podcast One and anywhere else you like to download your podcast. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.